We are in our Ephesians series uh, that is hopefully uh, intended to be an encouragement for us in difficult times. Uh, no matter what is happening, no matter how our lives might be falling apart around us, no matter the confusion that we have about the next steps where God might be leading you or me, life continues to call us forward. There is a destiny that God has designed, that He has planned from before the creation of the world, for you and for me to participate in His mission of love to the world. And in that sense, there is always more ahead that God has for us. Life calls us to keep looking forward and to trust that God has a plan and a purpose to use us for our good and for His glory. But this title, Life is Calling, is also a, a phrase that has a double meaning, right? Uh, for us, as we look through the book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago, the, the underlying premise for it is that for the Christian, for those who have been called by God, life itself is calling. That we are called by God on purpose and for a purpose. And when we understand and discover the calling and the unique purpose that God has for our lives, that He is revealing to us in Christ, everything else in life begins to make sense and to fall into place according to God's plan and God's design. Now, if you've been with us through the first half of the letter, the Apostle Paul has been developing what we've been calling a, a multi-layered uh, approach or explanation of this gospel message, the good news message of Jesus that Paul also calls the message of truth, this new reality that, that has been born into existence because Jesus not only gave his life on the cross, but God raised him from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, there's a whole new reality that we are invited to experience and to live into that, that, that changes everything for us. It helps us to establish an understanding of, of how to reframe our thinking according to this new reality and as a result to reprioritize the meaning the value of our lives and our relationships. And in that process, what we have been suggesting is that we begin to discover and to live out the very purpose for why God created us the way He created us and called us back to Himself. Because of the riches of God's glory, Paul has told us, the things that, that reveal who God is. Remember, glory it, are the things that reveal God. And, and what we've learned in Ephesians is that it's, it's grace and mercy and love that is revealed in Jesus Christ that tell us who God is, that God is a God of mercy, that God is a God of grace, that God is love. And that in these riches of God's grace that He has bestowed on us in Christ, we begin to understand that in God the Father we are adopted into a new community of people in Christ. In God the Son, we are redeemed from our sin and we receive a new identity in Christ. And through God the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live lives of meaning and purpose as a result of God's transforming work all three together, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are actively engaged in giving us our sense of life purpose and helping us to discover how God wants to use us for His glory. We get to chapter 3 today, and in this chapter, we're going we're gonna to kind of power through the whole chapter. 
uh, because Paul is going to reiterate a lot of what he's already told us, but then he's also going to be going to begin to bridge from this worldview perspective, this big perspective of what has accomplished God has accomplished in Christ to now the more personal and the practical application of what this means for our lives. And he does this with kind of almost a, a, an unplanned personal aside that we see inserted into the letter. It seems to just kind of pop into his head. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1, where he starts by saying, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now let's not rush past that uh, phrase. To uh, It's kind of a long phrase, but for Paul it's kind of a... A personal title. It's it's a it's a personal job description, right? Uh, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. There's something going on for Paul here in his own sense of life, purpose, and calling that he is wanting to introduce in the letter. And, and just that thought, that sharing of that title, makes him go, "Oh, uh, here, I have another thought. I should share this with you as well." And in verse two, he says, "Surely, of course, then you've heard about the." administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, if you are an underliner or a highlighter, I'd encourage you to underline that phrase, administration of God's grace. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. There's another phrase that Paul's going to use with that same word, administration. You've heard, surely, about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So everything that I've been saying to you in the letter before now is all a part of what God has revealed in Christ about this new reality that we are invited to live into, this gospel message, this good news of Jesus. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, also, if you're an underliner, you can underline God's holy apostles and prophets. We've talked about this in previous weeks. For us, we can translate that as the Bible. Because the Bible is the, the, the uh, recording of the teachings of those people who walked with Jesus, who, who saw Jesus rise from the dead, and who God called to lead and establish his church. In the Bible, it basically captures the teachings and the experiences of those apostles and early prophets of the church so that we now have their teaching as well. So wherever you read God's holy apostles and prophets, we can think, oh, the Bible, that's God's word to us. This mystery is that through the gospel, through this good news message of Jesus, that Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And as we've been talking about in recent weeks, we understand that God's plan and God's purpose for creation, from before he even created the world, was to unite all things in Christ, and to fulfill this plan and purpose to see Jews and Gentiles united into one body. And that, that means like all people united together in Christ is a part of the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. In verse 7 then, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Now, this, this is the, I'm going to suggest the central verse in chapter 3. You can highlight this one, underline, star. I became a servant of this gospel 
by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power. In here, I'm going to suggest for us today there are three things that Paul is revealing to us about how God's grace works itself out in our life to reveal our life purpose. See, Paul's personal understanding of the role of grace in his life is that it leads to a sense of calling and purpose in our lives. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, he says, because we know if you remember his story, he persecuted the church, right? He was uh, he was an anti-Christian. He, he went around saying that you guys are crazy, we, you need to be arrested, and, and maybe even he approved of killing Christians, right? He, he's now saying, I was the least of all people that God should be using for his purposes, because I was against Christ. But in spite of that, he says, this grace was given to me. And what is the grace? Is it forgiveness of sins? That's what we would normally think. God has given us his grace. He's forgiven our sins, right? That's not what Paul says. Is that this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone, here's that phrase again. You can underline it or highlight it. The administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. In verse 10, he gives us a statement of God's purpose again. His intent, God's purpose, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Underline, highlight that phrase. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And as we've talked about the heavenly realms is not heaven. It's the, it's the spiritual reality in which we live, the, the unseen world of spiritual powers and forces that exist as much as the physical reality in which we live, that, that is a part of where Christ is seated on the throne and has won the victory and calls us to follow him as Lord. According to his eternal purposes, that what he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, we'll, we'll pause there. We'll pick up the rest of the chapter in, in a few minutes. But Paul is saying here again, I'm not complaining about being a prisoner. I, I don't mention this to try and get your sympathy. I, I'm not calling out that I'm in prison uh, in order to somehow uh, gain, you know, or, or to, to trade on your emotions. He's saying that I'm in prison as a result of God's work in my life, and my calling has led me to this place. Therefore, it's a part of what I understand God is doing in my life. We could translate this to say, this is how everything I have been saying before now has worked itself out in my life in revealing my calling in Christ. Grace came to me as an undeserved gift. And that grace created a calling to use my life to be a revealer of that grace to the non-Jewish Gentile people. It's a sign of God's eternal purpose that is coming to fulfillment, just like we heard about from Cindy in Joseph's life all the way back in the Old Testament, right? This world can lead us to, to dark and evil experiences. And if we're not understanding that God has a larger plan and purpose and can use all things for our good and His glory, we might miss the opportunity that God can use those things to further His purposes in our lives. God's calling doesn't always lead us to a life of 
comfort and ease, but what it does is it leads us to a life of meaning and value and purpose. See, Paul's saying it's, it wasn't because of how good I am that I received this calling, it's because of how good God is. And when Jesus shows up, everything changes. He does. So the three aspects that I think Paul is highlighting for us about God's grace and how grace leads us to a, a sense of life purpose is that grace just does, doesn't only lead to forgiveness, which it does, but grace enlists us. Grace embodies itself in us. And ultimately then grace transforms us. Let's look at the first one. Grace enlists See, uh, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. You know, if you think about Paul being in prison, he could have very easily blamed a whole bunch of people, right? He could have blamed the Romans. Oh, it's their fault. These evil Romans, they're, they're thwarting God's plan. And because of them, I'm in prison. Or he could have easily blamed his fellow Jews, right? You Jews are, are in competition with the, this gospel message, and so you've put me in prison because you don't want uh, this gospel message to go out into the whole world. But that's not what he says. For him, their involvement was simply incidental. He understands that he is in his present predicament because of God's calling in his life. The only reason that Paul is in prison is because he dared to go around claiming that the Gentiles had the same access to God that the Jews did. That became the purpose of God's calling for Paul's life, to share this good news message with non-Jewish people. And in Christ, that God was reconciling the whole world to himself. Now, in this calling, Paul understood for himself personally what he has been teaching us in the rest of this letter. The part of receiving God's gift of grace is that we become responsible for sharing that grace with others. Surely, he says in verse 2, you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. There's that phrase, administration of God's grace. Now, the, the word that's translated there, administration, in the original Greek is oikonomia. And oikonomia is the word that we often hear translated in the church as stewardship. And if you know that an oikonomos is a steward, and it comes from the root word of oikos, in Greek, oikos was the family, or it could also be the family property, or it could be the family household. And the oikonomia, the stewardship of the family household, was the job of the head steward, the oikonomos. And so an oikonomos was the steward or the manager of all of the family's assets, property, and family life. And oikonomia, the stewardship or the management or the administration was the function that this person fulfilled. So if you think about how this word is being applied by Paul in conjunction with God's grace, Paul's saying that he has been called to be a steward or a manager of grace. And so for Paul, grace is a gift that comes with a purpose. To receive God's grace is to be called by grace, to be a person of grace to others. In Jesus, the gift of grace is a gift that comes with purpose. Grace not only connects us to God in Christ and to one another in the body of Christ, but it also enlists and empowers us to be stewards of grace in our lives and in our relationships. This is another way of understanding for Paul that 
when Jesus shows up, everything changes. Amen. You got it. And that's why in verse 7, which I said is the, uh, the key verse in this chapter, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. You see, grace isn't this passive gift that, that comes and once you got it, it's done, and now you just you know put it in your pocket and you bank it. Grace is a power that is actively working in our lives to, to begin to enlist us with a life purpose that we discover as we use our lives in service to God's plan. This became true for Paul in his context, and it also becomes true for us in each of our own contexts. Now, we might not find ourselves in prison for the gospel, but what Paul would, I, I think, want us to understand is that our own families, our own oikosis, our friendships, our careers, our hobbies, our whole lives become the avenues through which we are called to become stewards of God's grace to other people. You see, for Paul, the, the administration or the stewardship of grace is directly connected to the administration or the stewardship of the mystery. And what is the mystery? The mystery is not a secret. It's what God has revealed. That God is a God of grace and love and mercy. And in Christ, His plan and His purpose for the entire history of the world is to bring people into relationship with Himself and to reveal who He is to the world around us. This message of truth has direct implications for how we then steward God's grace in our own lives. To say it another way, we participate in revealing who God is when we demonstrate His grace in our own lives. That's a pretty high calling, and it's a pretty powerful purpose to begin to understand that we are stewards and managers of God's grace in this world. And Paul's life is a direct example of the way that God's grace not only redeems a person's life back to God, but at the same time calls that person to become a steward of that grace that he has given. So God's grace not only enlists us in service to revealing this mystery that God has revealed himself in Christ, but grace that becomes embodied in the lives of God's people. And that's the second point that I think Paul reveals. Grace So God's grace becomes embodied in real people living real lives in a real world. Not just in Paul and not just in professional pastors or teachers, but in everyone, in you and in me. That has been God's plan and purpose all along is to create a, a people set apart to reveal his glory. That's what it means. Remember we said at the very beginning that, that Paul calls Christians saints. It's not because of our own goodness, but it's because God has set us apart to use us to reveal how good He is, to reveal His grace and His love. That's why in verse 10 He says His intent was that now, through the church, through God's people, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known or should be revealed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, not just in in the physical world, but in the spiritual world as well, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Grace is God's power working in you and in me to embody that gospel message in a way that we can live it out every day and through every avenue of life that we have. 
See, now, Paul says, in this present moment, because of what Christ has accomplished, as a result that Jesus is alive, and because when Jesus shows up, everything changes, the manifold wisdom of God is being revealed through God's people called the church, through the lives that we live in relationship to one another. Now, Paul says, in this present season, in this life that we live, through the church, through God's people, God's grace is being embodied in a real community, which was His eternal purpose from the beginning that He is now accomplishing in us through the power of Christ and becomes the pattern of life that He invites us to experience as we live in relationship to the God of grace and the God of mercy and the God of love. Grace has restored the possibility of our connection to God. We can come to God boldly and with confidence. And we don't need to be discouraged by the challenges of life that we face in seeking to share this grace with others. Because if you think about it, right, to be a servant or to be a prisoner, sometimes Paul even said, I'm a slave of Christ. These were not positive job descriptions that people would aspire to. Right? But Paul uses them as badges of honor. Paul says that because of God's grace and because what God has done in his life, he's flipped his world upside down. What was good before now doesn't seem so good. And what was bad before now seems very desirable. Because when Jesus shows up, everything changes. And so now this, this, these titles of, of honor help to explain how God's grace has completely transformed his sense of who he is, his self-identity, and the purpose of God in his life. It is now Christ who defines him and not his life circumstances. If he's a servant to others, then he's a servant because of Christ. If he's a prisoner, then he's a prisoner because of Christ. Everything in his life is being reoriented around this calling of God to be a steward of God's grace and to be a steward of the mystery of this good news message that grace is available to all people. When the church understands the role she is called to fulfill, Paul is saying, and the message of grace begins to have its way in the lives of God's people, and unity and peace are established, then all the powers in the spiritual realm will know the many-sided wisdom of God because they'll see it manifest in us. You see, we begin to fulfill the calling of our lives as the Church of Jesus Christ Learn the power of manifesting the grace of God in our relationships with one another. The unity of Christ becomes the love of Christ woven into our relationships. And not just here at church on Sunday morning. When you hear the word church, don't think building on a corner. Think the lives of God's people. The church lives and moves and has its being in your home and in your workplace and in the restaurants where you eat and in the grocery stores where you shop. We are the church and everywhere we go, we take the church with us. We become stewards of grace in our homes and in our marriages. We become stewards of grace with our kids and with our friends. We become stewards of grace in our jobs and with our employees. We become stewards of grace at school and at play in all things that God would call us to do and to be. We are called to embody 
the grace of God in our lives. And in that process, God has given us everything that we need to be able to accomplish that purpose. He's given us His glorious riches, or the Bible more accurately says, the riches of His glory. He's given us grace. He's given us mercy. He's given us love. It's not our love and grace that we give away. It's His. And because we've received it, we now have the freedom to come before God with confidence and to say, okay, God, I need more. <laughs> I need more. I need more grace. And, and, and I know I'm supposed to give it away, but it's hard. I, I, I know I'm supposed to have more grace for my wife, but God is hard. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to have more grace for my husband, but man, sometimes he just, it's hard. God, I need more of your grace so that I can give it away. God, these kids are frustrating and, and, and I can't get them to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. And every time I try and give them direction and insight, man, they just keep doing their own thing. They're willful. They're disobedient. I need more grace. See, God has given us the gift of grace so that we can be stewards of that grace to others. We need to receive it first and therefore we need to be engaging with God through His Spirit to be filled with that grace so we have something to give away. Ultimately, that's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that they too will experience the truth of this new reality that he's talking about in Christ. Verse 14, For this reason, because of all of this, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Every family, every oikos, receives a new identity because of their uh, birth into the life of Christ. I pray that out of your, His glorious riches, maybe the riches of His glory, that which reveals who God is, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's not an oxymoron. I don't know what is. This love. Know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure experience what he prayed for his readers. The gift of grace is the gift of life for us. See, when we as believers understand the riches of Christ, the church will begin to be a place where this wisdom of God, this many-sided wisdom is made known to the world around us because it is manifest in our lives together. It's not just a good idea. It's a lifestyle. Our experience of God's grace and love and our experience of peace and unity in our lives together is not only a practical life experience we share, it becomes a part of the unseen spiritual reality in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realm, where all things are being brought into unity under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we come to know this grace and this love in our own lives, we discover that God's grace not only enlists us in its service, and it not only embodies itself in our lives and in our relationships, but the last point that I think Paul is making is that grace ultimately transforms us from the inside out. 
as we contemplate the amazing words that Paul has just shared in this prayer. We contemplate and reflect on what Paul is actually saying about the relationship that we have with God and what is available to us. Let us not imagine today or at any moment that we can come to know a love that surpasses knowledge and be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God and not be changed. Grace transforms. Paul says, I pray that you may experience in your own life the truth of everything that I'm saying. That the Spirit of God is the power of God at work in people and, and in the inner being, in your own heart, in that secret place but that only you know, but you know that God knows. And between you and God, that, that, that controlling center of life where our understanding is formed and life choices are made, in that inner place, God wants to work a miracle of grace for you. God wants to take the broken places in that inner life and heal them and transform them and fill them with grace so that you overflow as a steward of grace in your life. And that it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how broken or dark your life has been. You too can find life, purpose, and value as a steward of God's grace to others. You can reveal God in the world. What higher calling could you long for? What greater purpose could you desire? What greater meaning or value could a life have? As we live in God's love, we come to know God's love more and more. And in knowing God's love, we are filled with the fullness of God because God is love. And love begins to overflow in our lives because we have been transformed from the inside out by the God of grace. You see, love, the love of God in Christ becomes both the source of life for the Christian, but it also becomes the calling of life for each one of us. As we said last week, we can think about as the body of Christ that grace is the connected tissue in the body of Christ that allows love to happen. Right? It's the connective tissue that makes love possible in your marriage. Grace is the connective tissue that makes love possible in your family. Grace is the connective tissue that makes love possible in the church. And if grace is the connective tissue that makes love possible in the body of Christ, then love is the lifeblood that flows through its veins. And I can suggest to each one of you today that I know I include myself in this, we need more love in our lives. We need more love in our church. We need more love in our community and in our culture. And what's missing is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that's the very gift. And so if we cannot reveal God's grace in our own lives, in our own relationships, how is the world going to ever know the good news? See, the, the fullness of God indicates that in this experience of love, God makes himself completely known to you and to me. 
even though we may never be able to fully comprehend the fullness of God or, or everything that God is, nonetheless, we can fully know God in a relationship with Him through Christ. And when we are filled with God, Paul says, we are filled with love. Can I suggest to you this morning that one of the ways that you can know God exists is when you allow the Spirit of God to fill you with the love of God and you begin to demonstrate the grace of God in your life, you'll know God exists because you know that that wasn't me. Right? Because if we had our own uh, druthers, if we had our own mindset, if we had our own attitude, we wouldn't be showing grace. We wouldn't be showing love. We'd be showing criticism and judgment and my way and, and you're wrong and we're going to fight it out and it's a win-win proposition. Not a win-win, it's a win-lose proposition, right? It's always a fight because if I win, then you lose. And if you win, then I lose. So we have to fight about it. But in Christ, it can be a win-win. Right? Because grace and love allows us to overcome our differences, to tear down the dividing walls of hostility, and to find a new path of, of, of harmony and wholeness and peace in our relationships with one another as a demonstration of the God of grace and love. When we are filled to the full measure of the fullness of God, it leads to a life lived for God as a manager or a steward of God's grace in us, and as people who are called for that purpose. Grace enlists, grace embodies, and grace transforms. And the resulting outcome of our lives and our relationships together is that we participate with Christ in bringing glory to God. Right? And what is glory? Is that which reveals who God Paul closes the chapter with what scholars call a doxology or a, a statement of glory. At the end of chapter 3, he brings the first half of Ephesians to a close in the same place that he began with giving praise to God. And that's what we said in all of this. The calling of the life of the Christian is a calling to worship. And worshiping God isn't just singing praise songs on Sunday morning. It's allowing your life to be used to reveal God in the world, to reveal God's grace and His mercy and His love. And that praise, that glory, comes from the evidence of God's transforming work in our lives that begins in our hearts, in that secret place that is just between you and God, that no one else can know unless we choose to in that place, in, in, in our heart of hearts, God is inviting us to receive His gift of grace. To be called by that grace. To become a steward of grace. And to manifest that grace in as many ways as we possibly can. As a sign of the presence and the power of God at work in your life. And in my life. Paul says this is the reality It is the life experience that is open to you and to me today. But God never forces himself on you. God is simply waiting for you to open the door of your heart and say, yes, Jesus, that's the life that I long for. That's the life that I need. And so 
So I want to close with Paul's words today in verses 20 through 21. If this be your prayer and your worship this morning, you can join me in your spirit. And now to him who is able to do more, immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is work at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Holy God, we thank you that you in Christ have revealed yourself to be a God. And through the words of the Apostle Paul and his example of his own life, you are revealing to us that, that your gift of grace to us enlists us in its service. It embodies itself in our lives and in our relationships, and it calls us to be transformed from the inside out, to be stewards of your grace to others. God, forgive us for the ways that we have close the doors of our hearts to the working of your grace and your spirit in our lives. And this morning, give us the courage and the strength to open our lives, to say yes to you in trust, knowing that you are a God of mercy and a God of love, and that you don't come to judge us, but you come to heal us. God, weave us together as a faith community, as the body of Christ in this world, and what you have revealed it means to be church together, so that we together discover how to live out this purpose and this calling of our lives to reveal your glory.